get stuck. I mean, I felt stuck when I first moved to Atlanta. I wanted to do some different things. Get with somebody and get with a group of people, do a meetup, create something that you're just getting together with people that are like-minded and get yourself kick-started and then be accountable to them. And before you know it, you start transitioning and you start recreating yourself as a new person. I think that's a great way, but get with some folks that are like-minded and get yourself going and don't wait. Do it. Welcome to Star of the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. Our co-host today is Kamanzi Constable from KamanziConstable.com. How are you doing, Kamanzi? I am great. I'm enjoying the sun of Maui. As you should be. And since you're enjoying Hawaii, man, that makes me think of when I used to live in Hawaii. I was actually in the Navy. And guess what? This episode's coming out on Veterans Day. And we talked about this. We want to have on the show someone who's a veteran, someone who's doing big things. And that person is Bill Nowicki. Bill Nowicki is a Cold War veteran. He's a former Submariner. He's the podcaster and host of the Submarine Sea Stories show over at nowickymedia.com. That's N-O-W-I-C-K-I media.com. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be on. All right, Bill. So we're laughing because uh, we tried to do this intro a few minutes ago and I forgot to hit record. So this is our second time doing this. So Bill's an absolute professional. Thank you for that. (laughs) Bill, you already know this is coming. What is the best concert that you've ever been to? Well, I happen to be in Peru, a place called Chachapoyas. You know I got to tell a story. So we had taken a 20-hour bus ride. It's a long story, but 20-hour bus ride to this place. It's the actual capital of the Amazona region in Peru. And we had arrived and we checked into our hotel. And one of the big things that I love about Peru is the music. And I asked the guy at the front desk of the hotel, do you know anyone that plays uh, local folks that play music? And he said, sure. And he, he's making some phone calls and all this stuff's going on. Well, long story short, guy shows up with a guitar and the guy that owns the place gave us an impromptu one hour concert. And he sang all these beautiful Spanish love songs. And it was an outdoor kind of area. And it was just a beautiful night. The music was beautiful, and it was just so surprising. And uh, it was one of those times where you could never get all the things to align themselves again. But I, it was just one of those times where I just looked back and said, man, that was great. It was just terrific. That's incredible. Do you have any pictures from that? I probably do. I got a video I took, but uh, I'd have to take <laughs> it up. But yeah. Good deal. So we mentioned in the intro that you are a former Submariner, but as you know, you know Submariners for life, I guess, right? That's right. So uh, we got a couple of terms that are very common for the Submariner community. So we're going to ask you a couple of these terms, and then if you'd be willing to maybe give an, a short explanation on what that term means, and uh, go ahead, Kamanzi, if you'd kick us off. Let's go with angles and dangies. Angles, no. and angles and dangles. Angles and dangles. There you go. <laughs> yes. That's, that's an L. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That's a great one. The When you are first fitted out and you go out to sea, one of the things they do to test the boat, all the uh, you know components and parts, is to go up at a really high angle and then come down at a really high angle. And you do it does a lot of things. It pushes the boat's limits. It's almost like riding a roller coaster. And so you take all these sharp angles to test the boat out. And you can also go left and right and port starboard, that kind of stuff. But that's a way for the boat to get stressed and test to make sure it works. Now, 
I don't want to know what happens when it doesn't work, but every time I was on and did those angles and dangles, it worked. So it worked out for me. All right. The next term that some of our listeners may have heard of, but they just don't know what it means. What is an A-ganger? A-gangers. Oh, Lord. They're the dirtiest, nastiest people on board. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we used to call them, well, I can't say it, but they used to work on all the, <laughs> all the valves that uh, use the bathroom. You know, we have to... Uh, Flush the toilet and stuff was a little bit different. They have ball valves, and if any of those leaked, they'd have to fix them. So they they had that. They had the diesels. They had all this auxiliary equipment. So A stands for auxiliary equipment operators, A-gangers. But they were kind of a rough Bill? crowd, if you ask me. A lot of hair on their arms, if I recall correctly. <laughs> uh, then we're going to kick it off with the next term, Bill, which is Bravo Zulu. Bravo Zulu. Well, you know, back in the old days of the Navy, they used to have flags that they used to communicate back and forth between ships at sea. And of course, it didn't apply in the submarine service. But if you had two flags, B, which is Bravo in the, in the Navy, and Z, which is Zulu, if you had those two flags up, that meant you did a great job, whether you sunk another ship or did whatever you're supposed to do. So BZ means great job in Navy lingo. Bravo, Zulu, on answering that question. Thank you, Bill. sir. Okay, Keep the going. next one. I got a hundred percent. Yeah, so far so good. So the next one is bubblehead. What is a bubblehead? Not bobblehead, but oh, bubblehead. Bubbleheads are guys are in the navy or in the submarine service. They're called bubbleheads. Because I guess we used to put bubble suits on and things to try to escape or whatever. I don't know where. I guess it's just that because we're underwater in a bubble, probably. <laughs> next term is bunky. Bunky. I don't know if I know this one. Is this uh, when you're hot racking? Is that it, Jarrett? That's exactly all right. right. Yeah. So when you so when you go out to sea, there's not sometimes not all the racks you need for all the crew that you have. So what's a rack? A rack is the place you go to sleep. That's a bed. So all right. if you're hot racking, your bunkie is the guy that takes your place when you get out. And just a quick story there: the first when you're out at sea and you're hot racking. You have your own stuff and you separate it and you replace the sheets every time you swap it out. And then after about four or five days and not getting enough sleep, you say the hell with it and you jump right in. So that's not pleasant, but that's reality. <laughs> that's funny. All right. The next one is a term that, that I knew well crank oh yeah you know I, I never did have to crank but it's called mess cranking so when you first show up on the boat and like for me i had a job right away i had to be uh, qualified so they put me right on that job but if you're brand new to the boat and you don't have one of those watch standing jobs right away they put you in the cruise mess you peel potatoes wash pots take all the trash compact it pump it out of the bottom of the sub, TDU, it's called. You do all that fun stuff that no one wants to do, and they call it mess cranking. Yeah, not the most glamorous uh, opportunity. Well, the next word, Bill, is dink. Dink. Oh, no, that's when you're delinquent and your qualification. So you pretty much start out dink. Isn't that right, Jared? So <laughs> Everybody's dink in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So they give you this long list of things you have to do. You have to learn all these different systems. You have to do all these watch stations. And then they say, get qualified, Dink. And basically, you have to read all this stuff. You have to go visit with all these guys. And they 
test you on your knowledge of all these systems. And if you do enough of that, and then you stand enough under instruction watch, then you can be qualified and you're no longer dink. So you can watch a movie here and there. <laughs> all right. I'm laughing because I, I can relate to memory. a lot of these terms. Yes, yes. All, right. all right. Here's a one. We only got two more. This is an interesting yeah. one. And I, I happen to know what this is. Grotweiler. Grotweiler. I've never heard of that. <laughs> My whole time. You don't know what Grotweiler is? No, sir. Okay, so the basic enlisted submarine school uh, is in where? Where is that located? Where? Well, it was in Groton, Connecticut. Okay, it's, Groton, I Groton. believe it still is. Is it not? Is it not uh, in I think it, uh, it might be. Okay. Well, the, uh, the Groton, right or wrong, is not known as uh, being a town full of beautiful women. <laughs> so <laughs> some of the terms that the Navy men call the local women is Grotweiler, right or wrong. Oh, Large. Uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of rude. We're but, going uh, down on this episode. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Angles and dangles and not cut up. <laughs> so, Bill, the last term is scuttlebutt. Scuttlebutt. That's a term which means what is the rumors aboard the boat usually. But scuttlebutt used to be in the, back in the old days of wooden ships and iron men were a place where you used to get water and a water fountain. So everybody would hang out there and shoot the bull and and say what all the rumors are so that's where the name scuttlebutt came from (laughs) all right so bill let's move on i love movies and i've been guilty of watching some really good submarine movies so what is your favorite submarine movie? absolute favorite is das boat some people say das boot but it's das boat i think but yeah i love that movie definitely a classic Uh, that's one of those movies like i had trouble breathing watching that damn movie it's like uh so, <laughs> Samanzi, so, so, do you have a favorite sub movie? The Hunt for Red October. <laughs> That's a good one. I watched U five seven one recently. That was pretty cool. And K nine's a little bit crazy too. Or no, uh, Widowmaker. Sorry, oh, not K nine. K nineteen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Bill, let me ask you. Um, before I ask you a nice question, and this is something I'm curious, and maybe the listeners will be curious. What's the food like on a submarine? Well, you know, I think it depends a lot on the person preparing it, but I didn't really get that much out of our food. And I'll tell you, we were out at sea 74 days and the conversations quickly, well, not quickly, about day 60 started becoming about a fresh salad. And for whatever reason, we focused on the salad bar at Wendy's. (laughs) And because you miss fresh stuff and, you know, no matter how good your refrigeration is, you're going to run out of lettuce and tomatoes and all that stuff. And so we talked about tomatoes and lettuce for a lot, you know, last two weeks on board that damn thing. You know? Yeah, that would, that would be interesting. So then build but the next. To answer your question, that yeah, sometimes it's pretty good, though. Like you'll get, but you have a budget. So you might get steaks and lobsters once or twice out at sea, but a lot of it is casseroles and stuff like that. <laughs> Go ahead. Next question. So next question. And thank you for that, by the way. Yeah, that, uh-huh. that would be interesting being in a sub for like 70 days and yeah that's gonna take some mental capacity to be able to do that so bill do you have a favorite swim call story oh yeah well i only had one my whole career interesting yeah we were transiting i think from saint thomas or saint croix to you know somewhere puerto rico or something and they called swim call and i was dead asleep in my rack within I want to say 30 seconds. I was under the Ford escape trunk. I was the first guy there. And we, you know, have to, there's water in between, you know, up in that cavity. So you have to drain it. So 
we have the drain open and the captain already called swim call and you only have so much time and we're waiting and things draining and the chief of the boat said i think it's really empty no let's open it up so we pushed the hatch open and like i don't know 30 gallons of water fell down got oh, into no. the machinery room and all these guys are like cleaning it up really fast so we didn't get in trouble and then we went up and it was just a gorgeous day and it was kind of a little rough seas, so you would jump off the side, and sometimes it was like five feet down, and sometimes it was like 25 feet, depending on you know, where the crest of the wave was. But, and then you had to swim to keep up with the boat that was kind of moving, and, but it was really cool. And we had a guy up in the sail with a submachine gun for, to shoot sharks just in case he saw them. But, <laughs> But it was fun. Wow. And one guy said, this is how we don't have a clue half the guys on that boat. But the one guy says, hey, man, I can see the bottom, you know. And I remember seeing the depth gauge. It was like 5,800 feet. So it was like a mile deep. I said, I don't think you see the bottom, man. Wow. A mile deep. So literally, everybody's just on top of the submarine, just jumping off oh, into yeah. the open we, ocean. And then we had those rope ladder things to get up. And some of the guys were so weak, they couldn't, like, pull themselves up. We had to have divers pushing their butts up you know sides and stuff (laughs) but it was a great time it was it was like one of the best times because it was one of those things you weren't expecting and it was a beautiful day and everybody was just like you know we were all like kids for about 30 minutes so veterans day that's why we're doing this episode so bill what does veterans day mean to you well, you know, I look and I see the kids nowadays and the kinds of things they're going through, especially the ones in the army and Afghanistan and Iraq and just the amount of stress they're under. And, you know, it's just amazing to me that we have an all volunteer force and yet they're such good kids who are respectful of our country and they've put themselves out there. And a lot of them come back needing help and, you know, having issues and, you know, when you're in the military, and you'll probably agree to this, Jared, is you have a network of people around you that you can uh, depend on. And then when you're out in the civilian world, it's a great big ocean of people, not pun intended there, but just a large group of people that it's hard to reestablish yourself outside the uh, armed forces. So that's been a real difficult thing for folks. And I mean, there's probably 700,000 guys. I looked at some data not long ago, but there's like 700,000 guys that are they're going to be cut from the military in the next couple of years. So all those guys really need help. And, you know, just a pat on the back is probably good. But some of them I know need a lot more help than that. So, um, Bill, you shared one really good story with us. Looking back at your experience as a submariner, could you share maybe another really good story? Some of your best times at sea? Yeah, well, let me think. Oh, uh, we ran out of food. I said I was underwater for 74 days. Well, we had left Norfolk and we went on one of these missions I can't talk about. But bottom line is we couldn't. We were under the polar ice cap. We went different places. And part of our mission was just to basically stay on station. So we were getting you know, information from the highest levels of the government to remain on station. Well, Turns out the backstory is the supply officer was fairly new at these type of deployments and he hadn't ordered enough food. And we didn't figure that out until about (sighs) day 50 or so. And we were only supposed to be out 60 days and we got extended another two weeks. So we were on one meal a day for about two weeks. And I don't know, this is one of those times where it's just light bulb goes on. But 
I had never been poor my entire life. I mean, we always had food in the table, but it's one thing to go to bed when your stomach's growling. And I never want to go through that again, I can tell you. But it was one of those times where I had no control. I had no anything. But what's funny, the funny part of that story is I had stashed away some of this, you know, those old pistachios that had the red covering on them. I don't know what the hell that was, but I had a case of those that I snuck away and I, I had a can I would open in my rack and I would eat them. And I remember coming out of my rack one time and my face was all red from that pistachio stuff. And somebody saw me and he said, Bill, you got something to eat? And I said, no, I don't have anything to eat. You know, but I lied. I didn't care. You know, I was starving. To death. <laughs> but yeah, but we made it. I mean, it was it was tough, but we made it. In fact, I interviewed my old CEO that was the CEO of that boat. And he was surprised that no one complained. He said no one ever said anything to the command or anything, and he never got in trouble as a result, but he was quite sure it was going to happen. Bill, so obviously this show is called Starve the Doubts, and it's no secret that being a submariner is not an easy job. So how did you starve the doubts during some of the difficult seasons of your military experience? You know, the military was one of these positive, negative things for me. Being out at sea for that long and missing family and sunlight and all that stuff, What I learned was I had so much more to give and I had a lot of time really putting an effort out to see what I could do. So before that time, I was scooping ice cream at Friendly's in Massachusetts. So I didn't have a whole bunch going for me. And then when I got in the Navy, I saw that, hey, I could learn about nuclear power. I could operate a nuclear plant. You know, I was having troubles. They wouldn't even let me operate the grill at the friendlies. I mean, <laughs> they didn't trust me to do that. And here's the Navy trusting me to drive this $2 billion submarine. So I started seeing myself differently. So my doubts really got starved because I started seeing some changes that really were paying off in my life. And I started applying that same thought process throughout my life from that point on. So I went to college, got my degree in electrical engineering, took some jobs that, you know, I ended up being a manager, had like 67 people working for me. But all that was kind of because I was willing to take a chance. And recently, and you and I both know Marone Bereket, but before that, I got with a coach when I first moved to Atlanta. And we started going through some things that I was really wanting to do in my life, you know, additional things that I had not tried before. And and the podcasting started popping up because I love podcasts. And I started looking at some different things. And then I got with Marone and started, you know, creating this whole Submarine Sea Stories podcast and then connecting with some of the guys I had been on out at sea with and getting them to agree to be on my show. And it was amazing once I got past that part, but I needed help. I mean, I needed a coach and then the Marone really helped and the podcast incubator family has been really instrumental in that. But once I got through that, it was like, it was a whole new world had opened up. I mean, just to be on your show and be able to go to podcast movement and meet all those great folks was all because I was willing to take a chance and just try something new as a 53-year-old guy. That's what life's all about is just keep pushing yourself and see what happens. If it doesn't work, like Marone says, screw it, you know, just do something else. So Bill, let me ask you, um, why podcasting? Well, I love podcasting. I love storytelling. I mean, I I listen to it every week. And 
you know, when I listen to stories, I can transport myself. And another quick story, when I was out at sea, I had never read a book. I mean, I was one of these kids in grammar school that used to read a comic book and do a book report on it. And hopefully the teacher wouldn't figure it out. I mean, I was pretty lazy. But when I went out at sea, I read books about the great outdoors and just, you know, I could picture all the great big elm trees that the Fenimore Cooper novels talked about and, you know, all the stories surrounding that. And it opened up a whole new world for me. And that's when I started listening to podcasts, did the same thing. And I could just, it was almost like I was transported and would come back when the story was done and I didn't know what had happened the last 25 minutes, you know, so I feel that the storytelling is just such an integral part of what makes us human. And I think I really resonate with storytelling. And when I do this podcast, listening to people tell me their submarine stories just transports me. And I I mean, I just love it. I don't know why. (laughs) I mean, it's just a part of me now. I don't know if I could do without it anymore. Bill, what's your best advice for fellow podcasters? Just do it. I mean, my first episode, and I'm sure you'd say the same thing, both you guys, but the first one is just, it's a slog. (laughs) Go through it, you get through it, and it's like, man, I'm glad that's over. And then you have to edit it, and it's like, holy crap, I'll never do this again. Then you do the next one, next one. And over time, it just becomes like second nature to you. But it's just do it, and do it regularly. Don't put it off. And over time, it really becomes something where one of the things my coach that I wrote down that I'm still working on is just finding your voice. And over time, that's what happens is you find your voice, you get your traction, you get around like-minded people, and pretty soon you're off and running and podcasts just become something that you do and is part of your life. And I just love, I mean, you know what it's like. You got a thousand people, 1200 people a week listening to you. It's pretty crazy, but uh, I think it's great. And all the feedback you get and a lot of guys told me, oh gosh, you reminded me of what it was like. And, and it helps them to reminisce. And, you know, it's just something I love to do. Hey, Bill, who's doing something that interests you right now? There's a bunch of them, a bunch of folks, but, you know, I really love trying to remember the name of the podcast, but Startup. It's the podcast that's the guy from uh, NPR that's trying to start a business with podcasting and to listen to him. What I love about it, and I told Brian Orr this, I said, if you can bring someone along with you as you're learning and let them hear the struggles, then it makes it more real to you. If you ask, you know, you're talking to me now, if you would have talked to me five months ago, I would have said, ah, hell, I don't know what I'm doing. But now, six months or five months later, I feel like I'm starting to become a podcaster and I find my voice. But it's great to be able to follow as someone struggles and then you can relate better to that person. And then it makes it look like, well, hell, I can be a podcaster, too. And and I think it's just a great way to, you know. Get yourself out there and put yourself out there because over time, it really uh, brings out the you. What's you? When you're podcasting, that's pretty much you. You can't fake it every week, you know. Bill, so we're going to start wrapping up here. So what's the best place for the listeners to stay connected with you online? Right. Well, you already brought up wikimedia.com. That's for my podcast. But I've recently started transitioningvets.com. And I have a uh, free ebook for folks. Six mistakes that vets make when they're transitioning from the military. Just go to that website and download it for free. And I'm looking to put together a network of folks that help vets transition from the military to civilian life. And, you know, being a manager and and a coach, I can really 
apply some of the skills I learned and hopefully, you know, help just a few folks and that would make it all worth it. But yeah, transitioningvets.com would be a great way to get a hold of me. Yeah, that's fantastic, Bill. And then uh, Bill, first of all, thank you so much for your service. And then the question is, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners? I just want to say, Jared and Kamanzi, I just love podcasts and you guys have been such great. I mean, I've listened to your stuff, both you guys' stuff, and it really helps me and I appreciate all you do. And Jared, podcast movement was something that my wife's cousin said, Bill, you got to go. You're really passionate about this stuff. So I took a chance and went and I just had the best time and I look forward to uh, many more of them for the years to come, hopefully. Hey, Bill, if there's someone out here who's listening that says, hey, on some level, I want to try to help transitioning vets, is there anything that they can do? Yeah, I just think folks need a little bit of assistance. So, you know, when you get stuck, I mean, I felt stuck when I first moved to Atlanta. I wanted to do some different things. Get with somebody and get with a group of people, do a meetup, create something that you're just getting together with people that are like-minded and get yourself kick-started and then be accountable to them. And before you know it, you start transitioning and you start recreating yourself as a new person. I think that's a great way, but get with some folks that are like-minded and uh, get yourself going and don't wait, do it. (laughs) So that's advice for the person that's transitioning out of the military? Yes. Good deal. Well, Bill, again, like Kamanzi said, we appreciate your service and thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much, Jared. It was so much fun. I hope you guys enjoyed it. When you're in the military and you'll, you have a network of people around you that you can uh, depend on, and then when you're out in the civilian world, it's a great big ocean of people, but just a large group of people that it's hard to reestablish yourself outside the uh, armed forces. So that's been a real difficult thing for folks. And I mean, there's probably 700,000 guys that are going to be cut from the military in the next couple of years. So all those guys really need help. And just a pat on the back is probably good. But some of them I know need a lot more help than that.